When it comes to religion, one of the most common questions asked is, if God is sovereign, if God is in charge and all-powerful, then what about human responsibility? If God predestines us, then what about human free choice or free will? This is Evidence and Answers with scholar, author, and Christian apologist, Pat Zuckerin. I'm Kevin Harris. Today, we're going to explore this very complex yet fascinating question with Dr. Norman Geisler. Dr. Geisler is a philosopher and theologian who is an expert in this issue of God's sovereignty and human freedom. Today is the first of a two-part series on this topic, and the entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. In fact, we have several interviews with Dr. Norman Geisler at evidenceandanswers.org. Don't go anywhere. This one is going to be interesting. Pat? Yes, thanks, Kevin. Today we want to go where many angels fear to tread. We're going to deal with one of the major and most popular questions that Christians ask. And Kevin, you know, wherever I go teaching throughout the world, I'm asked this question. And that is the question of predestination and free will. If God predestines us to be saved, how then can we say that we have free will? Definitely one of those questions that keeps you up at night. Well, to help us address this issue is a man I'm sure you all know. If you know the world of apologetics, then you know this name, Dr. Norman Geisler. Dr. Geisler is the founder and president emeritus of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And for decades, Dr. Geisler has been defending the Christian faith and addressing some of the toughest theological questions that we all wrestle with. So, Dr. Geisler, welcome to the show. It's good to be with you, except I'm not president emeritus. Emeritus means without merit. (laughs) (laughs) So I insisted they not call me president emeritus. Oh, all right. What do they call I'm you? I'm the former president. Oh, former president. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Well, Norm, is that is that true? Is this a uh, a question that has kept you up at night? Yeah, just judging by our uh, tape uh, ministry and CD ministry, I think it's either number one or number two of hundreds of tapes we have uh, all time. Wow. Now, one of the books that you've written on this topic is a great book, Chosen But Free. Dr. Geisler, when did you write this book? Well, I wrote this book after um, R.C. Sproul wrote his book, Chosen by God, and I realized that he only had half of the formula there. People were getting half of the truth, and so we needed a book that had uh, both of the elements in the uh, biblical picture, chosen but free. Yes, as you just pointed out, there's several different views on this, and so view that we are presenting here you may not our audience may not totally agree with but we feel it's a very reasonable and also biblically solid point of view you open your book in the first chapter explaining the sovereignty of god uh, why do you open your book with the sovereignty of god because that's half of the uh, truth and it's uh, the most important half because god is sovereign and i knew that uh, uh, the people who are strong calvinists wouldn't even uh, read the book unless I had a chapter on that, and I wouldn't have written a book uh, whether they're strong Calvinist or not unless I did, because that's clearly part of what the Bible teaches, that God is sovereign over all creation, including uh, human creation and including human free acts. That's a good point, Norm, because so many Calvinists, hyper-Calvinists, and strong Calvinists and so forth, they think that the sovereignty of God is being reduced or besmirched by a view that differs from theirs. Well, we had one uh, strong Calvinist respond to it, and uh, 
judging by his response, I don't think he read the first chapter. If he read it, he read it with such colored glasses on that he couldn't see that I really believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God is sovereign over everything. He's predetermined everything from all eternity that will ever happen, including every free free uh, choice. So I don't know how much more strongly I could have put it. Yes, and that's one of the points we need to really make clear that we all adhere to the sovereignty of God. Now, a couple of terms we're throwing out here that we probably should explain before we continue is Calvinism and the other theology, uh, Arminian theology. Uh, briefly tell us, what is Calvinism? Well, uh, Calvinists are those who strongly stress the sovereignty of God. To put it simply, Arminians stress the free will of man in terms of specific doctrines uh, on a popular level. Calvinists uh, believe in eternal security, once saved, always saved, and Arminians don't believe that. There are many other differences, but those are the two that people would notice the most. And what do we mean when we say extreme Calvinism and you state extreme Arminianism? Well, uh, there are uh, several kinds of uh, Calvinism, and not everybody agrees on these titles. All I can do is to tell you the titles that best explain it to me. I would think it would be fair to say that if someone was more extreme than John Calvin, that they would be called an extreme Calvinist. And uh, so I call extreme Calvinist someone who, uh, believe it, or I sometimes use the word strong, um, it's less pejorative, uh, someone who uh, believes that uh, God, that Christ died only for the elect. Uh, limited atonement, because John Calvin, we have a whole appendix in the book, which gives quotes right from John Calvin that says clearly and unequivocally that he believed that Christ died for everyone, including the non-elect. So I I think extreme Calvinist is what's normally called a five-point Calvinist, a tulip, T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. It sounds like Calvin wasn't much of a Calvinist then. Well, John Calvin was a uh, Calvinist, but uh, he wasn't an extreme uh, Calvinist. Or he uh, certainly wouldn't have made all those uh, statements. Uh, we have a whole chapter full of uh, his uh, statements, a whole appendix. It's appendix number uh, two, and he says clearly he suffered and died for the salvation of the human race. That's the whole uh, human race over and over uh, uh, he repeats this, Christ's death for all the sins of the world have been expiated. So if Calvin said that, then I'd, th- I'd say it's extreme to say that God only loves some people, and he only sent Christ to die for some people. R.C. Sproul went so far as to say that John 3.16 should be translated, for God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten Son. Well, the Holy Spirit knows the word elect. He used it several times in the Bible. <laughs> And he didn't use it in that verse. Yes, and we also have, uh, I believe, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2, where it talks about the false prophets and the false teachers, and it has a phrase in there, for whom Christ died. Yeah, at uh, Second Peter uh, 2, 1, and following the whole chapter, but in 2, uh, 1, it says that he, uh, he bought them. That, that means he bought the... Uh, apostate. Everyone agrees in that chapter he's talking about unbelievers, apostates, and it says uh, Christ bought them. If Christ died for the apostates, then he certainly died for the non-elect. Well, John Calvin wasn't uh, a five-point Calvinist. Uh, Norm, you you trace, as I understand, a lot of uh, this theology back to the late Augustine. 
That's true. Uh, there were um, uh, other more moderate uh, Calvinists, uh, the uh, Amaraldians, for example, uh, but uh, John Calvin himself was uh, far more moderate than the uh, Synod of Dort uh, Calvinists, who were really the the founders of modern five-point Calvinists, and they go back to the late Augustine. St. Augustine had two beliefs that uh, most uh, evangelicals today would reject. Uh, one uh, is that uh, you can force people who are heretics to believe against their will, uh, and that he wrote in his book, The Coercion of the Donatist. And once you accept that some the God can force people to believe against their will, then you've got that other point of the tulip eye, irresistible grace. The guide can irresistibly force people against their will uh, to become believers. And Norm, and, you say the late Augustine, uh, he didn't originally believe this. No, he didn't. St. Augustine uh, was a what we would call uh, more a moderate Calvinist before for that, and uh, he, in 417 in his book on the Correction or coercion of the Donatist is the turning point. Before that, you can see he will say in verses like, uh, Christ is the Savior of all men. Uh, he would take that literally of uh, all men, that Christ died for all. Later on, he would say, well, he's the Savior of all kinds of men, namely just the elect. And he would directly interpret those passages in a different way. On the other side of God's sovereignty is human responsibility, and that's chapter 2 in this book. Can we build a case for human freedom? Uh, yes, we can, and the Bible does uh, from the very beginning. I once debated when I was teaching at uh, Trinity Seminary and a very strong five-point Calvinist, John Gerstner, who was uh, R.C. Sproul's teacher, was there. I invited him into my class, and we debated this very topic, and uh, I asked him, uh, if you believe, as Jonathan Edwards did, and John Gerstner was a reincarnation of Jonathan Edwards, and R.C. Sproul is a reincarnation of John Gerstner, uh, I said, if you believe, uh, as he did, that free will is uh, doing what we desire and God gives us the desire, then who gave Lucifer the desire uh, to sin and rebel against God? Couldn't have come from his fallen nature. He didn't have one. Couldn't have come from his environment. There was no sin in his environment. So they have a faulty definition of free will. Uh, free will isn't doing what we desire. It's doing what we decide. And sometimes we decide to do what we don't desire, and sometimes we desire to do what we don't decide. And uh, I said, uh, what, what caused Lucifer uh, to sin? He threw up his hands and he said, mystery, mystery. Mm. And I, I threw up my hands and said, contradiction, contradiction. <laughs> it's not just a mystery because they believe uh, that God has to give them the desire to do it, and they believe that God didn't give Lucifer the desire to do it, so they can't hold both of those. Norm, uh, I want everyone to realize that you did invite uh, this Calvinist of the Calvinists into your classroom to have an exchange, because when you wrote Chosen But Free, you, you threw a rock in a Calvinist hornet's nest and stirred them up, and you've had multiple challenges. Oh, uh, Dr. Geisler, come debate us. Come debate me, come debate me, and you can't debate everybody out there. Well, first of all, the uh, well, I did debate uh, this issue. Uh, uh, James White is uh, the one who threw out that challenge, and uh, he wrote his book, and then I responded and put Appendix 13 uh, in our book in response to his. That is a debate. Uh, it's a debate on paper. 
why didn't I debate him in person? Because I think, generally speaking, to have a, a major event like that, it's all right to have a dialogue before your class and so forth. I think a major event like that that pits one Christian against another so sends the wrong message. My rule over the years for those public debates has been to debate only unbelievers and generally on their ground in secular universities. I think that uh, James White and I are on the same team. We're both evangelical. We both believe all the fundamental doctrines, which I number as uh, uh, 16 uh, doctrines and have in a, in a recent book and article. And I think uh, we ought to turn our cannons toward the real enemy who's out there and just have friendly dialogue on the inside. Good. Good. I like that. Right. Now, along with uh, who persuaded Lucifer to sin, we also have to ask the question of Adam, don't we also? Absolutely. Same same thing. He he didn't have an evil nature, and there was no um, evil in the environment except Lucifer who tempted him. Uh, and someone can say that, but there was no evil uh, nature there uh, to, uh, to do it. And uh, he had a free will to choose or not to choose to obey God, and he chose to disobey God and brought evil in. So there was no evil out there. There was evil in there in his own free choice to do what God told him not to do. Uh, So let me see if I get this correct. The hard Calvinists or the extreme Calvinists will say that the decisions that we make are guided by God. And therefore, uh, all the decisions that Lucifer and Adam made had to somehow be guided by God. And yet we run into this contradiction that they chose against God. And if that was uh, coerced or moved by God, then we have a contradiction here. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it's, it's even stronger than guided. That God gives you the desire to, to do it. And if he doesn't give you the desire, you can't do it. Uh, and, of course, if, if it was evil, then God has to be giving them the desire to evil. Now, with regard to fallen people, after the fall, they say, well, God only gives the desire to do good. And the evil is done just by virtue of the person's nature. Well, you know, you can say that's uh, all right for fallen creatures, but how about for unfallen creatures like Adam and Lucifer? They didn't have an evil nature, and therefore either that desire came from their own free choice, which is what we say, or it had to come from God, which is impossible because God can't give anyone the desire uh, to do evil. Not only do we have the uh, problem with Lucifer and Adam, but Aren't there passages throughout the Bible where humans have a responsibility to choose God? He holds them accountable for the choices that they make? Throughout the entire Bible, in fact, let's just take uh, the problem of uh, the irresistible grace and uh, illustrate it from that. Irresistible grace says that God saves people before they believe, and they believe as a result of their being saved. Now, I think that's a a strong Calvinist uh, position or or an extreme Calvinist position, because the New Testament says you have to believe in order to be saved. I remember a strong Calvinist in Bible school with me many years ago, and we were in Romans 5, exegeting Romans in class, and it says, uh, justified by faith. I said, now what is the means and what is the end? Faith is the means by which we get justification. So what is logically prior, not necessarily chronologically prior? Faith is logically prior to justification. And yet the uh, five-point Calvinists believe that justification is logically prior to faith. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that. Dozens and dozens of times it calls upon us to believe in order to be saved. Not once does it say, wait 
to be saved, and only God can do that by irresistible grace. And then when he does, you'll be able to believe automatically. A proof text that is that often comes up, Dr. Geisler, and I think uh, Augustine maybe even referred to it, and that is the example of Paul, who was knocked off his horse. And uh, that is seen by them as a very uh, strong coercion, a force conversion uh, forced upon Paul. Well, first of all, Paul uh, freely responded to that. Uh, he said, what would you have me to do, uh, Lord? Secondly, God will use a two-by-four to hit a donkey on the head to get his attention, but he never ties a rope around the donkey's neck and brings him screaming and kicking into the kingdom. And it's the latter that the five-point Calvinists believe, and that's contrary to free will, and it's contrary to God's love. God is love, and forced love is not love. Forced love is rape. God is not a divine rapist. Jesus said in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. So it was their unwillingness that held uh, them back. And the, the very uncomfortable position that the extreme Calvinist has to hold is that God, who is a God of love, will coerce people into believing him. There's a question that follows then, uh, can't everyone believe. I mean, many Calvinists teach it's only the elect who will come to believe, and our sinful nature keeps us from responding to God unless God's grace moves us to respond to him. And so I guess the question is, can everyone believe? Does everyone have that opportunity? The Bible calls upon everyone to believe, and uh, if everyone can't believe, then the Bible, then God is irrational because he's calling on them to to do what is impossible to do. And uh, what would we think of any human being who said to anyone else and their child, I know it was impossible for you to do it, but you should have done it anyway. Uh, the Bible says, whosoever will, whosoever believes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And it's not limited. The unlimited terms are used uh, with it, and therefore uh, we have to conclude that they can believe and if they did believe, they would be saved. Now, as to grace, did they get saved without grace moving upon them? Of course not. No one can be saved without a grace, but the grace of God is there available for anyone who wants the grace of God, uh, and that grace of God uh, becomes effective in their lives when they respond to it, just like you and I, when we respond to God's grace in our life, it becomes effective for us. Well, you know, one of the responses to that is that, well, God often commands us to do things that are impossible, yet holds us responsible for it. For example, Matthew five forty-eight: Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do you respond to that? Well, he never calls upon us to uh, do anything that is not possible, either on our own or by his grace. And, of course, on our own, it's not possible for us to uh, reach that state of perfection, but by his grace it is because we can reach a state where we are able not to sin, even though we never get to a place where we're not able uh, to sin until uh, the final stage of salvation. And that we get because we willed it, and we willed the whole package, and he will ultimately bring us to that place. But never does God do anything in our life contrary to our free uh, choice. It would be unlike his love, and it would be unlike his gift of freedom that he gave us. Dr. Geisler, you've stated a good case for the sovereignty of God, and predestination is definitely taught in the Bible, but you've also stated a case for human freedom and the responsibility of humans to make the right choice. 
Well, how do we put the two together then? How can there be predestination but also human free will? Isn't that a contradiction here? Well, it's not. For example, you could foresee an accident. Say you're standing on top of a building uh, that goes to two streets up to its corner, and you foresee a head-on collision. That doesn't mean you caused it. God can foresee what we do with our freedom without causing us to perform those uh, actions. God is standing on the top of a, of a mountain, say, and there's a cave underneath it, and somebody in the cave can see a train going by, but he can only see one car at a time because he has a tunnel vision uh, through that tunnel. But the person standing on top of the mountain can see the whole train, the car that's just gone by, the car that hasn't yet gone by. God is standing on the top of the mountain from his eternal perspective. He sees past, present, and future are all present to him. We're looking through the tunnel of time, and just the present car is available to us. So it's not a problem for a God who knows the end from the beginning and who is eternal and above time to see what people are going to do. And it's not a problem to say God saw for sure, because he's omniscient, and whatever he sees and knows uh, is going to happen because he can't be wrong about what he knows. That God saw for sure what we were going to freely do. So it's free from the standpoint of our choice. It's determined from the standpoint of God's knowledge. So it would be a contradiction if God was limited in the box of time and space as we are, but God being outside of that box and an eternal being, it's not a contradiction for him. Exactly. And you have a lot of illustrations in the Bible, and perhaps the best one you know, is in Acts chapter 2, um, verse 23, where Peter talks about the cross being predetermined by God, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. He says, speaking to the Jews. And then the very next uh, phrase, uh, with only a comma between them, says, you uh, have taken by lawless hands and then crucified. The first half of the verse is God's sovereignty. He predetermined the cross. Revelation 13, 8, from the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain but you still crucified them. They're responsible for their free choice. God knew for sure from all eternity that they were freely going to do it. Norm, I've noticed in this controversy sometimes that some Christians put unbelievers in uh, a kind of a catch-22 with a verse in 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians 2.14. That is, the natural man cannot receive or does not receive the things of God. And if he can't receive the things of God, well, then... How can he come to salvation? But he's got to come to salvation in order to receive the things of God. It seems like a catch-22 using that verse. Well, first of all, the same person who wrote that verse wrote Romans 1, and it says uh, the things that God has revealed uh, are clearly seen by the unbelievers, and they're without excuse, Romans 1, 19 and 20. Secondly, in that verse, uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it's the Greek word dekomai, which means to welcome. Uh, they they perceive it, but they don't receive it. If they couldn't perceive the truth, how could they even reject it? doesn't make any sense to say uh, they didn't see it, they couldn't understand it, and they didn't have the ability to, to choose it, and they rejected it, and God holds them responsible anyway. They're, they're clearly responsible because they perceive it, and they're clearly responsible because they aren't willing to receive what they clearly perceive. Like someone who wouldn't welcome you into their home or receive you into their home. No, uh, they're, yeah, they're not, not willing. that you can't see them or they can't see you. It's that they see you, and the Romans one eighteen says they're holding down the truth. We have to have the truth to hold it down. 
You've been listening to Dr. Geisler, Dr. Norman Geisler. He's written a fantastic book, Chosen But Free, for everyone who has wrestled with this question. As a Christian, sooner or later, you're going to wrestle with this question. This is an issue that needs to be addressed. It's an outstanding book, Chosen But Free. And Dr. Geisler, you can get this book on your website. And uh, tell us what else you have there on your website. Yeah, you can go to normgeisler.com or internationallegacy.org. Get all our books and tapes. Uh, we have hundreds of them on all kinds of uh, uh, topics, especially apologetics. Yes, and Dr. Geisler will be back with us next week to further discuss this deep, deep topic, uh, predestination and free will. So we'll look forward to seeing you next week, Dr. Geisler. Look forward to being with you. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. There's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50 on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want, and we've got some of the top scholars on there. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Evidenceandanswers.org.